And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. Maybe you're thinking, what's going on here? He's pulling a fast one. We're back in Luke again. What happened? I just think that as I was thinking about the sermon today, uh, where it was going, where the text is taking us, it made me think back to this, uh, to this little portion in Luke. I think in a way that story encapsulates much of what the Christian life and what ministry and ministering for Jesus really ought to, uh, in fact, look like. The best thing we can do as parents, and we had the baptism today, which for parents is a pretty cool thing, and extended relatives there, but the best thing we could do, whether it's parents, whether it's friends, co-workers, classmates, wherever we're at, our neighbors, the best thing we can do is get them to Jesus. Yeah, doesn't that... It's like absolutely dead quiet in here, and I'm thinking you're just, are you disagreeing with me on this? I just think it's self-explanatory. Maybe that's what you're thinking. Well, yeah, duh, Jay. I mean, we knew that. Get him to Jesus. That There's a lot of other things that we do as we teach and, and, and inculcate the, the word of God into a person's life, but the first and foremost most important step is get them to Jesus. Now recall last time where we were, we had this incredible miracle of the lame man who sat outside the gate, wherever that was, that gate called beautiful, and, and he was healed miraculously in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And I want you to just note before we jump into this, already just in the miracle itself, all the attention is on Jesus. It's on the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Well, we're going we're to look at, at what's tied up with getting them to Jesus. First of all, we have to see that it's not about us. We tend to be too self-focused we really do. And, and, and I, I don't know that this is just a modern problem. I, I think it seems like we have a lot of narcissists in our world today. And we're, it, it feels sometimes like we're actually trying to raise little narcissists. Like, uh, you know, uh, TikTok and all the YouTube makes everybody immediately famous for, uh, for their 15 minutes of fame. Uh, or 30 seconds, I guess, with TikTok or whatever it amounts to. But uh, it's not about us. Look what happens here. It says, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? This guy is clinging to, to Peter and John. I don't know like what's going on in his mind at this point. I think he's dazed and confused. I think he's overwhelmed. It's a lot like Mary on Easter morning. Do you remember what, he, what she did when she saw Jesus? First she didn't recognize him, and then he says, Mary speaks her name, and she's like, Rabboni, and she falls down and grabs him, and he's like, you can let go of me now, you know, you can, you can, you can stop clinging to me, I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but, but it, with Peter and John, this guy is just, they're just, he's just clinging to him, and, and how would that be if, if you're Peter and John, particularly if you're Peter, because I think Peter was the main one talking here, wouldn't you be tempted to think, hmm, yeah, you know what? Um, where were the other ten apostles right now? Like, uh, where were all the other disciples? It was, uh, it was me, right? I was the one. I saw that guy. I thought, yep, yep, this is the time, this is the place. And I just, 
in the name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, and boom, he, he rose up and walked. That was me. Wouldn't, wouldn't you, we are tempted to think that way, and you know that's human nature. I think it's every person's battle. Some people, obviously a lot more than other people, but I mean, in one sense, we can't help but look at life through our own eyes, right? What, what happens in our life happens to us. That's how we experience it. But if that's where you, where you stay spiritually, you're, you're getting stuck in the wrong place. You have to see who this is about. Put yourself in Peter's position. God has used you to perform truly an epic miracle. We talked about this last time. In terms of how conspicuous it was, the fact that this guy had been lame his whole life and that he was positioned in a way that every, pretty, pretty much every Jewish person that had passed that way had seen him. You, know, you put yourself in that position and, and you're at that moment, you look a lot like a superstar. It's like the Beatles. Does anybody remember the Beatles? Boys and girls, it used to be this group. They were kind of, kind of important for their day, I guess you would say. But when they showed up, wherever they showed up, if people got wind that the Beatles were there, like, ah! you know, throngs of, of uh, screaming people, mostly young girls, but, uh, you know, some screaming young men and, and older men as well, I suppose. But they were all just like, ah! And this is the treatment that Peter and, and John are getting. And I love Peter and where he has gotten to. in Maybe three years before, this would have gone down differently. But don't you think, at this point in Peter's life, he knows his shortcomings? At this point in his life, he knows that it's not about him, and that if it's about him, it's going to fail. And he's just like, what, why are you looking at us for? Stop focusing on us. Now, this is an extreme example in that none of us are ever going to come close to this because this is an apostolic quality miracle. It's very specific. The apostles experienced certain miracles that were part and parcel of what it meant to be an apostle. That's what defined them as apostles in part. So you and I are not going to experience commanding. I mean, God can do anything God wants, but I mean, it's highly unlikely, given what we know, that we're going to experience this kind of miracle so of all people, you know, you think about it, if Peter couldn't milk this for a little, you know, fame and glory, a little self-aggrandizement, why do, why do we go there in our hearts and minds? And you know how, it, how that works. I mean, you, you pray for someone and God answers your prayer, and what's the first little thought that, that Satan puts there? God must really be listening to me. I mean, I don't want to take credit because, I mean, God did it, but but I prayed, you know, or, or somebody comes to faith in Christ through our witness, and we're like, wow, wow, I must be a powerful evangelist, or we give a little talk, and we think we're the great next public speaker in the Christian world, or whatever it might be. Um, we cannot take credit. So the first, the first thing we just have to get laid in there, it's, it's not about us. Fair enough? Anybody feel like that's unfair? Wouldn't matter, I'm going to keep going anyway. Secondly, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Look at verses 13 through 15. Peter rehearses the basic facts of the gospel, and he, he gets that across. But he also holds out who Jesus is. And I like this. We're going to spend just a little bit of time with it. This is not, you know, this is, this is some good, heavy stuff. So please, if you know, 
bring it together and keep your attention focused on the word of God here. But I want you to see what he says. He speaks about Jesus, and the first thing he, he calls him is God's servant, his servant. Look at verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Now, really quickly, I want you to jump ahead with me. We're not going to get this far today, but it's still part of the same speech of Peter, and it's toward the end of the speech. But look in verse 26 and see if you spot something. God, having raised up his servant, I don't know if I'm being too obvious there, (laughs) sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from his wickedness. Now, did you catch what happened there? Isn't that interesting? Yeah, because where he starts at, he, he calls Jesus the servant, <laughs> sorry, and then where does he end? He mentions it again. Now, see, when you see that as a, as a good Bible, uh, you know, interpreter, you look at that and you go, hmm, aha, right? Yes, Okay. You should, right? Like, whoa, hey, I found something here. Something, something's going on. I, he starts with servant, he ends with servant. Now, then you have to say, well, what does that mean? And, and, and what that seems to mean here, it suggests that the dominant theme in Peter's mind concerning Jesus is that he is God's servant. Now, what would the people of God, the Jews of that day, thought, what would they have thought when they heard the idea of servant? Is there a prominent passage in the Old Testament that talks about the servant? Well, the answer is yes. So when you get to Isaiah, you get in in the chapters in the 40s and the 50s, all of a sudden this this theme of the servant steps out. I'm going to show you one verse and then tie it back in here in just a bit, but look at at verse uh, 11 of Isaiah 53. This is now, for those of you who are not real familiar with Christian faith, if you're not familiar with the difference between the Old Testament and New Testament, this would have been written hundreds of years before Christ walked the earth. But it's speaking about him. Out of the anguish of his soul, and that's talking about the anguish of the Savior, the anguish of the Messiah. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, there you go, make um, many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. So one of the prominent ideas that Peter's getting, as he's pointing them, remember, this is all coming back to focusing on Jesus here and pointing them to Jesus, getting them there. The first thing he wants them to get across is this idea of Christ as servant. Did Jesus think of himself that way? As a servant? Seems like such a humble thing. Yeah. Yeah, Mark 10, 45, he says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Peter is is drawing their attention to Jesus. He's showing them it wasn't Peter that did this work. It was Christ, Jesus, the servant of God. How do we serve people as Christians? It may seem like a dumb question. Well, you serve them by loving them, right? If they need bread, give them bread. If they're children, you need to raise them up in the faith and teach them. You can go on and on about all the things we can do to serve people. But what I'm suggesting to you here, what the text is suggesting, is that the first and foremost way we serve other people is to point them to Jesus. 
to point them to the one who came to serve. Before we move on, look again at verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob glorified his servant. Now here's something I just want you to note. These people that Peter is preaching to, they didn't glorify Christ. They fell way short of glorifying them. They actually had him put to death. But they failed to glorify him. But what does he say about what God has done? God glorifies. So do you see how the focus is on Jesus? The miracle, everything, Peter's words, that it, 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 even God himself was set upon glorifying Jesus, the servant, the servant who gave his life as a ransom. And then Peter quickly piles on a couple other two, three titles of Jesus. I just want you to see these before we get, get going. Um, it says, but see if you can pick them out. It's always fun if you're doing the work. How many can you find here? Can you find two? Can you find three? Uh, But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Now, depending on how you count it, I count three, all right? Because holy and righteous one really bring two together just in in short order but it's really the holy one and the righteous one righteous one we just quoted from isaiah the servant is the righteous one who gives his righteousness so that our iniquities are cleansed and his righteousness becomes uh, ours Um, and then holy one peter used that quote at pentecost maybe you'll remember it when we bring it up on the screen this was this was something that peter quoted during the Pentecost sermon, he says, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. So what is Peter doing here? He brings out all of these titles of who Jesus is. He's saying, this is the one you killed. This is the one you crucified, this Jesus of Nazareth. And in, in furthermore, not only did God glorify him, but all the prophets pointed to him. So how many people are pointing to Jesus right now in this passage? I mean, just go back and think through that. All, you know, God the Father, Peter, the prophets, all of them pointing to Jesus. The term servant, going back to that for just a moment, might sound a little bit less impressive than holy and righteous one. Like, which one sounds like puts you on a higher stool? Which one? Don't think of servant as being the higher sounding of those, but I want you to see that they are connected, and you know they're connected. But again, if you go back to that Isaiah passage, Isaiah 53, the suffering servant serves, suffers, dies for our iniquity. He, the righteous one, serves us by dying so that his righteousness might become our righteousness. His service to his people is atonement for their sins. It's it's literally to be made right before God. So what we talk, when we talk about big words like substitutionary atonement and, and propitiation, that atoning sacrifices, that is how Jesus served us. Peter says this in his letter to the church. It says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So even in his righteousness, in that exalted title as the righteous one, What does he do? He takes his righteousness and he applies it to his people. And then Peter says, but you killed the author of life. 
Do you realize how ironic that really sounds when you stop and put it into words? We just brush over it, but it's like, okay, how bad can you mess things up when you're immortal than to kill the author of life? You killed the very one. You, you went and you, you done messed up, Aaron. You, you, killed, you killed the author of life. I mean, how dumb are you people? How is Jesus the author of life, by the way? There's two ways. There's two ways that, that uh, totally, both of them are totally acceptable. I think both of them are meant here. In one sense, Jesus is the author of life in that he created life. You say, well, I thought God the Father did that through the Son. Isn't that what the, the Scripture tells us? That, that it was through him that everything is made, and without him nothing was made that is made. You can go to Colossians. You can go to the book of Hebrews. That truth is there, that, that Jesus, along with God the Father and, and the Holy Spirit, were working to bring about life as we know it, author of life. And yet also... He is the author of life in the sense that he is the author of eternal life. It is only through him that eternal life is possible. Whoever has the Son, John says, has life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Right, okay. And they killed him. And they killed him. It reminds you a little bit of the old fable. How many know the fable of the scorpion and the frog? Scorpion and the frog? Old fable, yeah, scorpion, for those of you who don't know, scorpion and the frog were uh, on the riverbank one day. I'm sure the frog was giving the scorpion plenty of room. And the scorpion's like, hey, frog, take me across the, take me across the river. And, and the frog's like, well, I'm not going to do that. I, what kind of idiot do you think I am? I mean, I'm, you're, you're going to sting me. I'm going to die. And he's like, no, why would I, why would I do that? Why would, why would I do that? If, if I sting you, then I'll drown. I can't swim. So the frog's like, yeah, that's a good point. You know, that's actually not bad. Okay, all right, hop on. And he's going across the river, and he get about halfway out. Lo and behold, what does the scorpion do? He stings the frog, and the frog's dying. And, and as they are both dying, because, again, the scorpion can't swim, and they're starting to glug, 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 you know? And the frog says, why did you do that? You think there's a joke coming. This is a fable, not a joke. He says, why, why would you do that? And he says, it's just in my nature. It's just in my nature. The good news to the Jewish people who had put to death the author of life is that, yes, you behaved according to your nature, but God raised him from the dead. The author of life that you killed has been raised once again to life. He is the one, Jesus is, is that name. He is the one who brought life to, that, to those feet, you know, the feet and ankles that we talked about that would have been all, all but dead, you know, though, though the man was alive, his feet and ankles were worthless. That's the one who brought that life to those bones. The healing of the lame man was not simply, you know, out of mercy. It wasn't simply so that the apostles would, would stand out and as, as Christ's witnesses, but it took place so that it would draw men and women to the name of Jesus Christ. It was all pointing to him. And it just tells us that that's our mission, isn't it? The end of the day, with, with, and, and trust me, as a pastor, I know this all too well, there's a lot, of, there's a lot involved in, in church work. There's a lot of all involved in the Christian life. There's a lot of things that, that we want to teach people and train people in and help people in. 
But first and foremost, it's get them to Jesus. If we have to go up on a roof and cut holes in the tile to get them there, that's what we do. Thirdly, it's about his name. It's about his name. It says, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, yeah, they knew him, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. What is in a name? You know, a, a rose by any other name and all that would smell as sweet. In the, in the Western world, when we think of a name, we pretty much only think of a designation. It's like, well, that's, that's what we call them for sake of, you know, so that we will know, no one will have to shout, hey, you. That's all a name really means to us. But in the scripture, a name is like the totality of the person. It's, the, it's all of, it's their character, it's their authority. Again, Peter is drawing contrast. He's saying here, it wasn't me. I'm not a magician. I'm not particularly pious. I'm not particularly powerful. There's nothing here. I, it, it is the name of Jesus Christ. That's the source. That's where the power lies. And the way we experience that life-giving power, he says, is through faith in the name of Jesus Christ. There will always be people who come along and look at Christianity, faith, whatever you want, however you want to refer to it, as a vehicle for their own self-aggrandizement as a way of making much of themselves. You go back to the, 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 the sins in the earliest chapters of, of the Bible and, and you think about that Tower of, of Babel incident and what does it say was their sin? Other than the fact that they weren't spreading out like God had told them, but they, they wanted to stay in one place and they wanted to make a name for themselves. And there will always be people who come along and they look at the Christian faith and they go, you know what, that's a pretty sweet gig. And you see this. You see people that are out there doing this for money and fame, notoriety. There will always be people like that. And it won't be long. We're going to be looking at the passage about Simon Magus. And, and he saw Peter and thought, wow, that guy, that guy, people, listen to that guy. I want some of what that guy's got, and I'll even pay money for it. But it's about the name of Jesus. It's not about our name. You know, most of us will, will die with very few people knowing our name. Hate to break that. If you're young and you're thinking, I just need that one really good TikTok idea, and man, people are going to remember me. Yeah, maybe a you know a face plant into a wall or something like that. That will be your you know that will be your legacy, right? It's not about making a name for ourselves. It's about the name of Jesus. If you want a great name, and you as a Christian, there's one way for you to do that, and that's to seek that name with God. I mean, chances are you're going to die and nobody's going to remember your name, but he'll know your name. That's, it, that's the only reasonable place for a Christian to seek glory for one's name, and that is with the Lord himself. Finally, it's about what they've done. It's about what they've done. Um, Peter's, Peter preaching this, it's, it's a lesson in contrasts, which I don't know if, if you if you caught that feel as we were reading through it, but it's actually the softest, hard-hitting sermon that's probably ever been preached. It's the softest, hard, or it's the hardest, soft, it's one of those two. Anyway, on the one hand, he keeps putting the death of Christ on them. 
He keeps saying it different ways. It's like, you betrayed, you handed him over, you murdered the author of life. He keeps putting that on them. And, you know, he, he could have been saved, but you offered, you know, you offered a murderer in his place. You guys aren't very nice. You're not very nice people. That's kind of what he's saying, isn't it? Now look at verse 17. This is very similar to the story of Joseph. You remember Joseph, just to back up a moment, back to the Old Testament? Joseph, he got sold out by his brothers. He ends up in Egypt. He, he actually ends up becoming a very important person in, jo- in, in Egypt. And then his brothers, they're experiencing famine in Israel. So they go down to Egypt, and lo and behold, there's their brother. They don't recognize him right off. So he makes them suffer for a little bit, you know? He does. You read the story. I mean, they're like, oh, they're beside themselves. And they start reliving the fact that they sold him into slavery, and they, and they feel all this guilt. And then he goes, ta-da, it's me, it's Joseph. And uh, and, and he forgives them, and he says, you know what? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God meant it in order to save his people from starvation in that case. Well, now, it says, and now, brothers, he even calls them brothers, which is kind of cool at that juncture. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. So he's just slammed them, told them they murdered the author of life, and then he's like, but you know what? I know you acted in ignorance was it were they really ignorant 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 like they didn't know they were killing an innocent person yeah they knew they were killing it but jesus himself from the cross says they know not what they do and what he means by that isn't that they were unaware that they were killing him and that he was innocent but it means they didn't grasp who he was they didn't see this fact that he he was the servant of god the holy and righteous one or that he was the author of life they killed the author of life like the scorpion killing the frog but instead of reaping death here's that good word that that soft word that comes in that god look as bad as you people are god is so much better god raised him to life and now you have that hope that chance what what's more peter adds but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. What does that say? It's saying as evil as you people are, yeah, you meant it for evil, but God actually did mean it for good. God, this was God's plan from the very beginning. This was according to God's purposes and plan that, that, the, that the Christ would suffer, and all of the prophets witnessed to that. Again, as I said, this is like the softest, hard-hitting sermon to be preached he shows them who jesus is he shows them their sin but he shows them that that possibility and i think that's still the way the gospel has to be presented i i don't think you can get to the good news of the gospel without first going by way of the really bad news which is like you're acting according to your nature scorpions you're 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 just being who you are and that's evil. But then you, t- then you give them the good news. Why, are we, why is it so hard for us to tell the, the bad news part of the good news? I'll give you three reasons that I... Th- these, are, these are my three plausible answers to my own question. Yeah, first of all, I think we're just afraid that people won't like us. You start telling people that they're sinners and that they need a Savior, there's only two ways for that to go, it seems like to me. I mean, there's the negative one where they mock you and ridicule you or hate you and, and, and drive you out and persecute you. And we just don't like that. 
It's like, you know what? Life in America is pretty good. Do I really need the aggravation? I think that's the first reason we maybe you know, shy away from that. Second part, I think we've bought a particular lie. It's the lie of our age, and, and that lie is, is about truth being relative, you know, my truth. Isn't that the dumbest phrase in the English language, my truth? What do you mean? So truth's not objective. No, it's my truth. What's your truth? Oh, I believe that unicorns exist. They live in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Have you ever been to Albuquerque and seen a unicorn? Nope, but I want to get there someday. Okay, I guess it's your truth. Why am I, who am I to say it's not? I mean, that's kind of the way we, it's like we don't want to tell people. If we tell them they're sinners, they'll be like, no, I don't think so. And then what do you say? But, but you are, <laughs> right? Thirdly, I, I think we're afraid of being called hypocrites. Because, can I just, and, and maybe this is the easiest way to dispel the problem. Yes, we're all hypocrites, we're all hypocrites. If you're not a Christian and you hear me saying you're a sinner, yes, I am. And then you think, well, but you're a sinner. Yes, I am. I, I'm, I'm a repentant, forgiven sinner through the blood of Jesus Christ, and only by that do, do, am I standing here today as his follower. Here's the funny thing. I, I want you to see something in the text. If you uh, Do I have thir that 13B? Yep. Yeah, okay, so check this out. Just look at that really quickly. And uh, use, your, use your cogitation abilities here. Look at that. Is there a word in there? Now, this is coming from Peter. Peter is saying this. Do you see anything weird about that? It's that little word, denied. Denied. And in the Greek... It means denied. <laughs> and when Peter denied the Lord, it's the same word. Same word in both Greek and English. And, and so Peter, do you think Peter heard this coming out of his mouth? The one that denied Christ three times, he's like, and you denied him. Peter, you're, you're a hypocrite. And I think if we told Peter that, you know, hey, Peter, you're a hypocrite, he'd be like, yeah, I know that. What are you, you, you think you're telling me something I don't know? Yeah, I know I denied them, and that's my point. They did too, and they need to hear that. They need to know that they denied the Lord. One of my favorite stories of uh, conversion, I've, I've shared this before, was a, a senior pastor I worked under in the first church I was at. And he shared his testimony. I, I would go with him, we would do evangelism explosion where you'd go and share your faith. So he would always lead, and he would tell his, so I heard his conversion story many, many times. You've heard it a few times. But uh, just in a nutshell, he was at a Christian retreat, and a friend of his, one of the Christians that organized it, looked at him and said, John, are you a Christian? And, and he says, uh, yeah, I am. And how this guy knew to do this, it was a Holy Spirit thing. He looked at him, he goes, John, you're not a Christian. If you died, you'd go to hell. Whoa. Don't believe I might have said that. But he said it. And John's testimony was that the moment he said that, it was as if the heavens opened up and he saw the wrath of a righteous, holy God against him. And that was when he was, when he was one to faith. That's, that's when he came to, to Christ, was through that very hard message that was, that was preached at him. Let me close by asking you a question. What could God do through us? What could God do? Not, not that we want a great, it's not for the namesake, right? 
But what could God do through us if all we cared about, bottom line, what we really cared about was getting sinners to Jesus? What if we didn't care about our names, our reputations, our, our safety, our popularity? What if we simply loved sinners because we're sinners and we were willing to do whatever it took? What if we pointed them to their sin but at the same time, we were quick and ready to, to tell them the good news that God sent a servant, his servant, to give up his life as a ransom for many. What if that was just our bottom line? How do I get people to Jesus? What about my neighbors? What about my children? What about my coworkers? What, you know, oh, that God would give us the heart that Peter had. You know, we just, need to, we just need to wake up and realize, yeah, I'm a hypocrite. Yeah, I've, I've fallen so, so short. But I just want people to hear about Jesus. If you don't know Jesus today, may I just say to you today, you're a sinner. <laughs> yeah, you are. That's, well, I don't like that. It's just the truth. I'm sorry. It's my truth. But uh, no, it's... <laughs> It is. It's, it's, it's the truth. It's true for every single person here. If a person here today can say that they're a believer in Jesus Christ, then they have been forgiven of their sins. They have been washed. They've been cleansed. Just like as baptism demonstrates that, that they, they've experienced that renewal, that cleansing that comes through the gospel. But it, it's only through the name of Jesus Christ. We can't offer it to you on some other basis. That is the only way that sinners can come to God. It is, it is through his son, through that servant, Jesus Christ. And we would just call on you today. Hear the name of Jesus. Look to him. And if in looking to him, you see the, the, the savior of mankind. If you see the one who died for your sins. One of the questions in baptism that I always ask is, is that do you believe in Christ's death for your sins and his resurrection? you see that today and you believe that today then just take hold of it by faith turn turn from your sins and put your trust in Jesus Christ let's pray father it is our desire to get people to Jesus it's it we want them not to focus on us lord i mean we want to be the best witnesses that we can be but but we're like peter we're up there saying you know don't deny the lord or you deny the lord and and, and there we've got four fingers pointing back at us at all times but but Lord, help us to keep the focus on Christ and just keep bringing sinners to him. And we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would do the work that we cannot do. Lord, that, that you would give them that conviction of sin and, and that heaven opened to see both your righteousness and wrath, but also to see your mercy and your grace in Christ and that they would call out to you because of that. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.